Have you ever wondered what it's like to experience one of the oldest rainforests as a blind person? Or how it feels to get around one of the seven wonders of the world with mobility issues? You're listening to Accessed That, a podcast that explores what it's really like to travel as a person with a disability, like me. I'm Carney Liddell. And I'm Oliver Hunter. Each episode, we send a travel lover on an adventure around Queensland, and then we get them in the studio to have a chat. We ask them what it's like for them to navigate the world, hearing the highs, the lows, and the lowdown from people who have been there, access that. This podcast is presented by Queensland. Before we get going, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording and the country we love to travel. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I would especially like to pay my respects to the First Nations people living with a disability. Welcome back to Access That. We've got another great episode for you today. We really had a lot of fun learning from this next guest, didn't we, Carney? Yeah, I couldn't wait to get their perspective on travel and also just life in general. I'm always intrigued by anyone that's artistic, I guess, as an old has-been Paralympian. Our guest today is a Melbourne-based artist and advocate for people with disabilities, an autistic person, the very talented and quite lovely Prue Stevenson as well as their art which explores and celebrates the autistic pleasures and cultures. Prue is passionate about helping create more broadly accessible experiences for the autistic community. We got the chance to discuss all about sensory seeking in travel and how to avoid overload when out and about. So I hope you enjoy it. So thanks so much for coming on, Peru. I know we know each other. Um, have you met Carney before in, in the travels of, of nah. all the work? No. Nah. Oh, <laughs> no. That's great. Nice to meet everyone. Um, I guess our first question, Peru, for people that are listening to the podcast and haven't heard of Prue Stevenson before, can you give us a quick sort of explainer on who you are? You want my elevator speech? Yep. We'll go the elevator pitch for Prue Stevenson. All right. Well, Hello. My name's Prue Stevenson. I am an artist and change agent, and I um, love learning new skills, especially ones connected to my sensory profile. I'm a very big advocate for regulating in abstract ways. Okay, interesting. Uh, would you mind, you just said regulating in abstract ways. What I said big, because my dad, he's six foot one. Right, okay, great. Huge. Are you tall as well? Did you get the get the height? Well, on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. We love that. So that's awesome, Prue. You mentioned abstract uh, ways to for your sensory. What what would be one of the abstract examples of how, how you regulate there, like you mentioned? Well, it's not abstract to me. It makes lots of sense to me. Um, but something like hand flapping is a classic. Yeah. Or like getting the palm of my hand and hitting or the tips of my finger and hitting the um, pressure point on my jaw. Okay. Very cool. And that helps you sort of in a heightened situation sort of relax. and Not necessarily heightened. It just um, there are lots of reasons why I like to do things like that. We actually all like to do things like that, but one of the... Um, uh, 
one of the, well, I guess some of the ways, reasons I do it is because it helps me be present. Um, it, if there is some sensory stimuli that doesn't feel good, it feels painful to me, I can activate my sensory profile in a way that brings me great joy and pleasure and that can help me focus away from the really painful thing. I actually do it a lot at like the physio. You know, you go to the physio and they might um, be massaging a part of your body that really hurts or you're about to get a needle by the nurse at the doctor's and I just fidget on the opposite side of my body so that I'm focusing away from the thing that's causing me pain or the thing that I'm preempting pain and then I can keep the other part relaxed and still for the needle to go. That's good for all of us to know, isn't it, really? Yep. Especially my little six-year-old. That could help my six-year-old when he goes for his vaccine next. Mm, Yeah, just get him to fidget on the opposite side of the body and keep that side still and keep looking at that that opposite side it's good it depends on his sensory profile though that's true we just got in our hotel room and my goodness there's quite the view out there it's gorgeous and i'm guessing what looks like a complimentary bottle of wine and there are curtains listen there's all the proof you need Oh, I think that's our bags arriving. Good night for now. This podcast is obviously about travel and our travel experiences. And you're you're from uh, Victoria, like me. Um, so, have you travelled much outside? Uh, I live on well, Wondery Country. Yes, I think so do I. So, um, have you travelled much outside uh, Melbourne, Victoria, Wurundjeri country in your in your life and in your travels? Yeah. Well, my parents are from New South Wales, so I've been there. Um, I got like family all the way up the east coast, and uh, I went to a taekwondo tournament in Adelaide once. Um. What else? I went to Venice on an art trip and I went to New York on an art trip, um, two weeks each, making art, looking at art. Uh, One was when I was 18 and the other was when I was 21. Very cool. That's so funny, Prue, that you brought up Venice because whenever anyone says to me, where's the hardest place you've ever been? Oh, yeah. For me, in a wheelchair. (laughs) It yeah, was yeah. Venice because obviously Venice is on water and even the bridges have steps. Yeah. My mother told me when I was on my, you know, six-week Italian adventure, whatever you do, you won't be able to go to Venice. And, of course, you don't listen to your mother at 25. <laughs> and my best friend my best friend and I couldn't stop laughing the whole way to Venice and then we couldn't stop laughing when we kept on seeing these bridges with steps because – Yes, my mother was right, and I will not be going back to Venice unless, of course, they've made those bridges flat and smooth like all bridges should be. Have you thought about um, just taking a gondola around Venice? Maybe I the did. gondola is more accessible. It is. But it's quite hard to get in a gondola, but I did get into a gondola, and I love the water, so I did, I did love being there for that aspect. But I've been there, done that. 
I've accessed that. <laughs> well, I didn't access <laughs> that. <laughs> so talking about access that, the podcast, obviously if you're on it, then you have some form of disability and yours is, of course, autism. It's a spectrum and different for every individual. What does your autism mean for you and how you travel? Well, the thing is that I have a pretty, um, I guess, broad way of understanding disability in that, you know, some days I identify with it, other days I don't, or more situations like, oh, I got on this podcast because I have a disability, so of course I have a disability, but Mm -hmm. then, um, you know, and, and, you know, Centrelink, of course I have a disability, but then in my everyday life I don't have a disability. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. because my definition of disability is requiring support and everybody at some stage is gonna require support that's why we live in society because we all support each other so in a way it kind of cancels itself out in its own definition of itself yeah I love that because I always say when I'm in my own unit not this one now because I'm renting I'm about to move to my uh very accessible unit I don't feel disabled at all at home or if I'm in a really accessible place or around people that know me I don't feel disabled when I walk in front of them because I walk with a really obvious gape. Uh, gape? <laughs> I just went gait and limp together. We're going to call it gape? It's like gaping. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I call it a swagger. And if I don't feel self-conscious of that, then I don't feel disabled either. But sometimes when you do travel is when you can sometimes feel very disabled. So for me especially, obviously in a wheelchair, using a wheelchair. What about when you travel with your differences? What do you like to call them? Well, I guess, um, yeah, it's tricky. I change my words all the time because mm-hmm. like even it's weird that neurotypes have been founded. That's weird. That's like mm. founding the way that a tree grows. You know, it's like founding the most diverse things in nature. Because mm-hmm. if you thought of my brain like tree roots, it's just five times denser than an average brain. Um, so, and, it, and I've manipulated it in my own ways as well, like we all do, like society does. But anyway, I'm getting a bit artistic, aren't I? I love it. Um, no, that's great because I'm not artistic, so I'm loving every minute of this. But <laughs> travelling is loud, it's unpredictable. So for someone that is um, neurodiverse though and, and you, we've mentioned um, your autism, so when when you are travelling, you, you mentioned New York before, I'll use that as, as my example. New York is quite a very sensory <laughs> city, like it's a... I think a big misconception of autism is that we're avoiding all sensory stimuli. I have a very specific sensory profile and a lot of people know about avoiding sensory stimuli, but they don't know that much about seeking sensory stimuli, which is a really big part of regulating through environments. So, for example, you know, I love making friends. What city is the best city to make a new friend easily? New York City, of course. I made so many friends when I went to New York, New York. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a really 
I mean, that's more a social thing, but it's also you got this whole park in the middle of the city, mm. a huge park, Central Park. So it's easy to get some downtime. You just go to the park. I went to the M and M factory. Yeah. So you like sugar? You like you like your lollies? Yeah. No, and nobody been. knew where Macca's was. Oh, because they probably don't call it Macca's, do they? They call McDonald's. it Mickey D's. Mickey D's. Yeah. <laughs> and I and went also, to the Bronx. Ah, you really did New York. And I'm guessing as an artistic person, that's why you love New York, right? I love making new friends. Okay, I'm in the Uber. Getting taken to the airport to go to Queensland. Feeling pretty amped. Going to the beach. I love water. So that's exciting. I actually brought a whole, uh, like, secret spy suit. <laughs> Cue the 1960s spy music. <laughs> but yeah, um, Josh and I have planned to wear sunglasses. I embroidered and sewed a, a sash that I wear at the airports. I made it specifically for the airport years ago, and I wear it every time I go to the airport because it's a scary space and it says autistic pride and it kind of just gives me a bit more confidence to unmask and behave in an autistic way with my gorgeous hand flapping and jumping so that people don't misinterpret it as antisocial behaviour and I don't get taken down by security. So when we're travelling, is there anything that you can do to minimise those barriers that may impact your traveling experience? Well, I guess the thing is that when I went to New York and when I went to Venice, I was masking my autism the whole time. Like I was masking my autism in my room by myself. I was masking that hard. I had no idea I was masking my natural way of being. Um, it wasn't till I was around 21, 22, I started to um, question a lot through my art practice. And so, you know, now I, so I guess the point is that I didn't have as much, I didn't have as many options. I couldn't do as much when I was younger. I wasn't as independent as I am now. I couldn't do that much because my brain was so tired from pretending to putting a, a front up, pretending I was trying to trying to do the right social cues and not regulate. I wasn't regulating at all. I mean, I was doing Taekwondo a lot which helped me regulate because you get to kick people and that's fun. But, um, <laughs> you know, the now I think I'm more independent. I've got more possibility because I can, I'm not masking as much, but it's kind of this strange space where I have capacity to mask to the point when no one, knows I'm autistic, no one knows I have, you know, complex trauma or PTSD or whatever else neurotype I have going on up there. I don't even know because it's weird that I've been founded by medical whatevers. But, um, you know, I think that 
Yeah, with this Queensland tourism opportunity, I refused to go without a support worker because I knew that a support worker would be able to support me in certain ways, socially, sensorily, processing time, all that stuff. So you took a support worker with you? I did. Oh, good. My friend Josh came with me. We brought fancy clothes and went to fancy places in our fancy clothes. So when you say your mask, we all do put masks on wherever we go. I guess we've all learned how to do It's an analogy. It is an analogy, yes. And let's talk about going, like preparation. So when you go to the airport, what preparation can you do aside from putting a mask on? When you go into the airport, are you able to be yourself or do you put the mask on then? Well, I made a sash specifically for the airport years ago that I always Ooh. wear at the airport. Um, and my assistant dog, Disco, couldn't come with me because she hasn't gone for her pat test yet. So oh. she's still a learner. Um, Disco? So- Is her name Disco? Yeah. Okay, that's the best dog name I've ever heard. I've got uh, Bobby Daz. I've got Bobby Dazzler. I wanted to call her Goldie Horn and Willow. Anyway, get back to your story. Sorry, Disco. I'm going to be. That's that's brilliant. <laughs> um. So yeah, I made a sash, and it says Autistic Pride on it. I hand embroidered it, <gasps> and um. So I wear that. And security is the scariest part for me mm-hmm. with the airport and also getting on the plane is also scary. Um, getting off the plane's fine. But I guess that, um, you know, when you're in the airport and they start doing announcements and saying things like, if you see any antisocial behaviour, please report. <laughs> If you see any and they start like kind of going into detail on their announcements about all of this type of behavior that you need to report to security, um, they're basically describing my neural type right there. (laughs) So I am just walking through going, oh, uh uh-oh, I'd better, that's a good reminder that I'd better not have any uh, I'd better, you know, have social behavior and I'd better, um, you better not wave not your hands have, around. Don't wave your hands around. <laughs> um, look people in the eyes, you know, have a smile on your face. Be a happy, charming person. I'm very lucky that I have this inbuilt charm, but not everybody has that. Um, mm, yeah. So, you know, that that's an extra little uh, power power play. I don't know what you call it that I have little extra wild card up my sleeve. It's survival. Um, yeah. Oh, the other thing is I brought my support toy monkey, which oh, is tell me. the opposite of masking because I'm literally an adult, like a thirty, nearly 34-year-old <laughs> walking through an airport with a toy. Um, but monkey I stole from a shop in Germany when I was two. And so he's also been around the world. And when I can't take, he's actually retired. He's getting old. He's been to the doll hospital twice. Uh, Thank you, Anne. And uh, so it got quite stressful uh, for me. 
and I got my assistant dog just in time. So now Monkey has a hot pink velvet chase lounge and he sits there uh, in my bedroom with Margaret and Mr. Flippendale and, <laughs> and then usually Disco is supporting me and that's a big life-changing moment. But because Disco hasn't gone for her test yet, she's still a puppy, um, she, it means she can't go on aeroplanes at the moment. And uh, okay. so I couldn't yep. take her to Queensland. Um, so then Monkey came out of retirement specifically for this trip. Oof. He doesn't cost extra on the plane. <laughs> he sits on my lap like a baby. And... He um he supports me a lot emotionally and sensorially. And um yeah, he's got a little jacket as well that my grandma knitted for him. And so then I also had my friend Josh as my support worker. You did mention that security is a bit of a trigger for you. Why is that? Um because if you behave in particular ways, they might try to touch you. Yeah. And they, and they don't know to give me processing time. And it's kind of that, like, it could go either way. If I'm disclosing I'm autistic on a sash on my body, then, you know, that means that I can get patronized a lot. Mm. But I'd rather get patronized than touched. So... Then, although touching does come with patronization, they love the little pat on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we, yep. we get pat on the oh. head in, the, in our wheelchairs. We also get <laughs> pat down. So, yeah. Prue, we can't go through the machines. We actually have to go through and they pat our whole body down. Oh. Including areas. They go really, really very, obviously, over the, over the chest, all over you. And they make you move forward in your wheelchair and they pat you all down the back. Yeah. It can, yeah, it can be very confronting. I mean, I've, we've both, Carney and I have both done it plenty of times, but yes, it, it does Do get quite a... Do they give you processing time so you know what's no. going to happen before it happens? No. Because that's something that's really hard. Yeah. Because mm. if they said, hey, this is, what's, this is what we need to do, this is what's going to happen. Like you're at the dentist, you know, and they tell you what's going to happen before it happens and they show you the things they're going to use before they use them. And then mm -hmm. I find that that makes me feel more relaxed because I've kind of already processed it before I've real life processed it. That's like a really good advice. Like my brain processes before my body. My, my friend Kerry, he's been saying through our conversations in our art practice collaboration the body is the antenna to the brain. Amazing. So Josh and I are in this little funky, what would you call it, like a bar precinct, like a nightlife. There's a really amazing ice cream shop with lollies and lots of funky bars, lots of playgrounds made out of ships. We found an old rowing club that was built in 19... 28 and has been made into someone's home in 2004. We're at Howard Smith Wharves. And yeah, it's super funky. It's good for, I think, all ages. Like, it seems very family friendly as well as any age. And 
Yeah, we're just having an Aperol Spritz, being fancy peoples. Uh, so you went to Queensland before. So tell us where you went in Queensland and um, and just we want to hear more about it. So where'd you go? Well, it's interesting. The way that the trip was organised, they kind of set the bar really high. So we had dinner at Donna Chang's. Whoa. Mm, it <laughs> yeah. was tasty, tasty. And so, you know, that that was really fantastic. Highly recommend. It's like Chin Chin in Melbourne, but for Brisbane. And so the first night we went to Donna Chang's, then the second day we went, we got picked up on a bicycle, a tricycle. <laughs> and it was so funny because there was this guy cleaning the path, a footpath with a green, what looked like a tricycle. Um, mm-hmm. but it was actually just a cleaning machine and we're looking <laughs> for a green tricycle. So it was very <laughs> funny to just see this green machine cleaning the footpath with a man. And then our green bicycle came up in the same colors and this beautiful guy came and he rode us all the way to Goma, the gallery of, you know, Goma. It's a great oh, a gallery of modern art, art I think. Thank I'm not arty, you. but I've been That's there. The I've one. spoken there a few times. Beautiful. Wow. You don't need to be well, an artist to talk there. Oh, I didn't speak about art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about what, what did you go see? There was a curator at the front door waiting for me to arrive. Oh, wow. And the curator of X, the exhibition, took us through the exhibition and told us all about the art, which was pretty interesting. As in the art was incredible, but interesting to have someone tell you all about the art before you've really processed or while you're processing and experiencing it. Um, But that was really incredible. Highly recommend that show. And then we went across to the other show and that was fantastic. Um, I didn't like it, but I love that I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I like that I didn't get it explained to me. I got to work it out and through conversation with Josh, I got to, we got to, who loved it. Um, it was more his kind of thing. And then we went and had lunch at the, um, like Goma's Bistro lunch area. And we had Aperol Spritz in the sun. And oh, um, So Queensland. Yeah, we were very fancy. And then... And, and then we were walking and we saw a bearded dragon. Oh, wow. So when you talk about a curator, would you rather have not had one by the sounds of it? It was amazing. Yeah. And she was really cool. And it was great to get extra insight on the artist and understand the artist's lived experience. And at the same time, I guess when I left... I didn't really think that much about the art that I really liked. I thought more about the art I didn't like. And I didn't really think about the work that I actually resonated with on a lived experience and political level because it had already been explained to me. So I guess that, you know, it was really amazing experience. And that's something that kept popping up in the trip is that this isn't the kind of holiday that I would ever have. 
and also it's it's like jam packed full of things and i wouldn't usually do something on every single day or multiple things on the one day so i didn't have any meltdowns during the trip but when i got home i had like 3 or 4 days of meltdowns and mm-hmm. huge exhaustion so that's something that i think a lot of people you know, I, I present really well. I'm here on a podcast. I'm using my words and having doing the social stuff. But people don't see me after this podcast or after a trip like that where I'm stuck in bed for days, exhausted, having meltdowns. So, and, you know, part of that is because of the masking and part of it is because I just wouldn't usually do such a fancy trip I would be in like you know having a walk down the river and getting an ice cream but and the ice cream is the fancy part you know so usually on a holiday you'd have a day off where you'd have what would you do on the day off normally it would just be a lot slower and it Mm -hmm. would go at my pace and if there's a day that I'm like actually today I need to rest then that would be okay. But Mm -hmm. because this trip was organized and very structured in like, you know, on the last day we went to Tangaluma Island. uh, Oh, with the dolphins. With the dolphins and the whales. So we got on a boat. We went to – oh, actually, no, I forgot because on the second day – So we've gone to Goma, we've walked along the river, we've gone to our hotel, we've had a swim in the pool, we get out, we like have a nap, we go to Greca. Yeah, the Greek restaurant Greca or their food. Oh, yes. We got back just in time to watch the Matildas smash (gasps) the soccer. That was so good. Um, Yes. That was in Brisbane, wasn't it? It was. That night. And, um, And so we got to watch the soccer and that was great. And then on the second day, went to the Goma and then we went to West End, walked around there. Um, saw, you know, like this fancy old house from 1928. There was a fishing, uh, like a yacht house, sailing club house that's been turned into a home. And then we got picked up by our driver, our personal driver, who's lovely. And, um, yeah, fancy car. All the cars are really fancy in Brisbane. They got like TV screens and they light up. Oh, no. Yeah, it was super... (laughs) No, all the cars in Brisbane are not fancy. Ollie, are you noting all this down? Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm so excited. I know we'll be in Brisbane shortly, so I now know where to go and eat and do all the do all the cool stuff. We went and had dinner. I got Morton Bay bugs, living the high life with the seafood on this trip. And then we went and did the dolphin feeding. And there were dolphins and we got a fish. And so I was holding a fish like an ice cream, like they said. Luckily I've eaten many ice creams with a cone before, so I knew how to do that. And then we put the fish in the water and the dolphin ate the fish out of my hand. And it was so cute. And its little lips, its little bottle nose, nose hit my finger I was touched by a dolphin (laughs) and that was really exciting and I was on a high after that 
did you get to swim with the dolphins at Tangaluma? So, yeah, the next day I was exhausted and I was like, hey, Josh, do you think there's a way that we could do, like, just some of this and not other parts? And Josh went, nah, Prue, it's all booked in. We got to, we, we're going to be on a boat on an island. There's no getting out of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so well, I pushed there. through. Yeah, I guess, but that would be a very long swim um, <laughs> with sharks because, yeah. yeah, we did see yeah. sharks. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so we, we went on the boat and it was the same thing of like, hey, can we get on first and get off last sort of deal, which was very hard with all the excited tourists and, you know, the boat staff. And it was tricky to organise. It, it wasn't really possible to organise, but we kind of got away with it. Got on a boat, sat down. The first thing the tourists do is the classic Titanic pose at the front of the boat. That was pretty fun. <laughs> That's fun. I, um, I brought Uno. So we played Uno a lot during the trip, which brought mm-hmm. some structure and stability, which was really great. Helped a lot. Um, and I also have my sketchbook, so I could draw whenever I wanted. Yeah. And, um, and that, again, was really helpful to have that structure. And then... Uh, we went on a boat, got to Tangaluma Island. There was a man there uh, with a sign with my name on it. You are fancy. Just like in the movies. Mm-hmm. And he took us, Bailey was his name, and Bailey took us to this place and he said, okay, this is the code to get into this lounge area where you can get changed and chill out in the lounge area. Okay, now you got to go back to the wharf and get on the boat. By this stage, there's this huge line and I'm like, Josh, I need to get on first. And we needed to get on the same boat that we just got off. And I think in hindsight, I would rather just stay on the boat than see the lounge that I'm not really going to have time to use. But anyway, there were some tourists that weren't very nice about, you know, skipping the queue or that kind Uh, of thing. And then, so Josh and I got on and we ended up sitting at the front of the boat outside Yeah, because I'd heard that we were getting lunch on the boat and that's really scary for me because I'm really hypersensitive to smell and I have a lot of trauma around food because of my sensory profile. So this is where Josh came in handy I got to sit outside. I was like, can I eat outside? Fantastic. That's great because there's lots of airflow. Josh went inside through the bottleneck and got the food and brought it outside to me. So I didn't have to go through a crowd. I didn't have to process the smell of other bodies or other foods. And then I, um, I ate outside what I could some of the food I couldn't access because it was all mixed together and I didn't yep. have capacity to process that much information. But the food that was separate I could eat. And then we went on a boat and the boat, the waves, whoosh, and we yeah. were going up and down and up and down and up oh, and no. down. It was so much <laughs> fun. I love because I'm, again, I'm a vestibular seeker and a proprioception seeker. So I was like, this is like a roller coaster of my dreams. Oh. And I'm getting all the sensory feedback that's regulating me. So I was super happy. Yeah, that's amazing. Being on the front of the boat outside with the waves going up and down, all the way down and all the way up. It was so fun. 
but I got to feed a dolphin. Oh, good. Amazing. Except that the man that helped me feed the dolphin, he grabbed my arm without consent. Uh, okay. That was just because I have a disability yeah. and I just had to manage that. In the future, when you when you travel, can support workers or yourself? Could you possibly get someone a list of things to not to do? Like if you're doing that dolphin experience, and if Josh said to the dolphin trainer, so it's that balancing act of if you disclose, you may get some ableist behaviour coming with it. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. So if you disclose, could you say things like "Please don't touch me," for example? along with the autism explanation? It doesn't always work that way because mm. they will get really like mothery kind of behaviour of extra care, mm, yeah. which comes with touch. Yeah. Prue, before we let you go, thanks so much for coming on. If there was one thing that you could change to make the trip, the experience, the whole travel experience? Well, I would give some autism training. Yeah, I think that was so amazing, Prue, that some of that information and that some of those experiences that you've shared are, have given me a lot of um, sort of insight into how, how you've handled travel and how other, I guess, neurodiverse people can handle it. So thanks so much for coming on. Great speaking to you, Prue. Thank you so much, Prue. I'm glad you enjoyed nice Brisbane. Nice doing business with you. <laughs> you too, Prue. Love it. Thank you for listening to Access That, presented by Queensland. We'll be back again soon with more from the people who have been there at Access That. In the meantime, head over to queensland.com for more on accessible travel. Access That.